It's election day, team. Let's get right to it. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Can you feel it? Can you sense it? Can you smell it in the air? It's very eerily calm here in New York City for a day that's full of so much tension. It does feel quite a bit like this is what happens right before the storm. And when some of you are listening to this, I know you may have, depending on whether we're on delay where you listen on one of our affiliates or if you're listening on the podcast, you might already know more than I do about what has happened but I'm telling you today about what's going on in the macro sense. What's what's the biggest picture we can take of the situation? And I'll tell you this much. No matter what the outcome of this election may be. And as you know, I've been very strongly positive uh, about Trump's chances here. I've, I've predicted a win. Not shy about saying it. I think what 276 electoral college votes, something like that for Trump is what I'm what I'm seeing in my head. But prediction is a fun game because no one knows and anybody can get it wrong. But here's what we do know already. What Donald Trump has accomplished in the last four years has been truly astonishing. And that's true on multiple levels. Let's just first start with the track record. Um, Let's start with things that people said he either wouldn't be able to do or wouldn't do because he was unwilling You look at the economy and it turns out that what many of us have believed, and this is something you can point to the data on, you can look at the numbers, what many of us have believed for a long time now, that if you have less onerous government taxation and regulation, if you let the business of the American people be business, everybody benefits. It's good for the overall economy. It means that you have better, faster, cheaper products. It means that people have more money to invest either in companies or just in themselves, in their education and in uh, paying down their mortgage and buying a house for the first time, whatever it may be. It's better for us. It's better for the economy. The government is not as good at spending your dollars as you are. And so there should be an absolute minimum of taxation and there should be a bare minimum of regulation along with it because central planning through all these different ways the government harasses and undermines businesses also harms all of us. So these are these are foundational philosophical concepts of conservatism of limited, not necessarily small government these days, let's be honest, but limited government uh, conservatism. And Trump has proven that the model was right. The Obama administration for eight years, for which Joe Biden, we know, was the vice president when he wasn't making deals on the side for a little hunter. The Obama administration was unable to achieve the similar growth rate for GDP that you had seen from many, many other presidents. And it was really a a record low recovery from a depression or from a recession uh, going all the way back to World War Two. It turns out that having the government spend a whole lot of money and regulate people into oblivion is not useful, is not good for making people better off, but. It is good if you want to be in control. It's good if you want to shore up your political base. 
And if you think you have some sanctified moral purpose of spreading money around to people who did not make it, give people things that do not belong to them through the state. It's like Bastiat the law, people wanting to live through the plunder of every other person. And everyone thinks that they'll be better off if someone else just loses more stuff and it's given to them. And the people that are doing that rearranging use that to their advantage. That's a summary version of not just the Obama Biden economy, but of the Democrat Party's view of the world. OK, so on the economy, Trump was right. The numbers bear it out. Trump knew what he was doing. The tax cut was a major stimulus for everybody. It did put a lot of money in the hands of uh, of average folks. In fact, every family across the country that pays taxes and a lot of them don't. But every family across the country that pays taxes got a tax cut. All right. You look at trade with China. This is one of the areas where we were told Trump was completely out of line, out of his mind. And now he has managed to shift that consensus. And that was a bipartisan consensus before Trump came into office. Oh, China will just get more liberal and will behave better as it becomes larger, richer and more powerful. In retrospect, doesn't that seem really stupid to you? Doesn't that consensus that was rammed in all of our in all of our faces all the time? Oh, yes, this is the way it is. The people at the think tanks and the, the commentary at all across cable news and uh, the various you know, academic experts on the on the issue of uh, China trade relations, they would all say, oh, no, China is going to come our way. Let's just make them as wealthy and influential on the global scale as possible. And then they'll behave really well. And let's ignore all the theft of intellectual property, all the cheating on trade that they are doing and just suffer in silence. That was the consensus position, because a lot of people felt like they were doing quite well with that position. And if you look and see all the different ways that China has economic influence in this country, I mean, the NBA won't criticize China for a reason. Right. We all know what it is about dollars and cents, folks. Trump took on that challenge. He defied all of the experts. Remember, oh, Trump should listen to the experts. But he'd been saying this for decades. He knew because he understands bare knuckle business negotiations. A guy who's done plenty of it himself. He knows that the Chinese Communist Party was absolutely taking us out for a ride. This was not something that we should have sat back and allowed to happen as long as it did. And I'm not even getting into all the theft of intellectual property and the other things that they've done, which are unbelievably damaging and i think we're going to unfortunately look back on the days when we allow the chinese communist party to steal so much of our intellectual property as a pivot point as a shift we think we're going to be ahead of china you know economic uh, from an economic standpoint military standpoint for the foreseeable right my lifetime your lifetime uh, that may not be the case and one of the reasons is that our biggest advantage uh, against the Chinese Communist Party and against this authoritarian state capitalist uh, entity, it's not really communist, as you know, uh, was our intellectual property and our innovation. Well, if they can steal all of that. Guess what? What's our biggest advantage? They got a lot more people than us and far fewer regulations about the Green New Deal and you know trying to make for clean energy and all this other stuff. You know, human rights violations, worker codes, unions, these things don't slow down. The Chinese industrial machine. What we have, our advantage is our intellectual property, is the ability that we have in a mostly free market based system for the best ideas to win and uh, proliferate. 
Well, if you can steal all that, it's like the kid who's copying the smartest kid in the class's homework. You're still getting an, you're going to get an A just like the other kid. Doesn't matter if you couldn't do the work on your own. That's what's happening. Trump decided to finally, finally push back on that. And he deserves a ton of credit because I remember in the early days, 2017, right after Trump's miraculous election and defeat of Hillary Clinton. And that's another thing. We should forever be grateful to Donald J. Trump for giving us the four years that he did and preventing us from being subjected to the Clinton crime family for four years. I mean, that that alone is a tremendous service to the American people, not just to Republicans, to everybody. Uh, Hillary Clinton is a rapacious, greedy, unbelievably amoral person with a hole in her soul that will only be filled with power and money. And we all know it. Trump prevented four years of that. And so we should be thankful. The first three years of the Trump presidency were three of the best years I can remember in this country in my lifetime. That's the truth. And many of you will recall around this time Last year, November and December, I was just I kept telling you. And last summer, some people even felt like I was saying it too much. But I was wanted everyone to know. Enjoy this, friends. Booming economy, peacetime, just nothing but options and opportunity out there all across America. So much good stuff going. They, they had to pick issues. Oh, my gosh. You know, kids in cages at the border. And we were all supposed to think that Trump was Hitler and a Russian asset and all this stuff. This was all make believe emotional garbage about Russia collusion. It was all insane, but they would pick issues and make it seem like everything else that was happening in the country was terrible. This was all a fraud. So I want us all to go into tonight knowing. First and foremost, that we should be proud of what the Trump movement accomplished so far. And I could sit here and keep going on and on. No wars. How about that? And I'm somebody who saw up close and personal what our military had to go through in Iraq and Afghanistan and had a lot of access, particularly in uh, those two countries, to what the government don't generally want people to know about, which is really how the sausage is being made, so to speak, behind the, so- behind the scenes in the intel world, how nasty, uh, how, how violent, how untrustworthy so many of these different factions and groups that we either had to work with or that, We were trying to uh, pacify. We've moved away from that. Trump has not started some massive military uh, conflagration, and he deserves a whole lot of praise for that. So you've got a booming economy, peace. You've got peace deals that he's signing, a great new trade deal with U.S., Mexico, Canada. Even Nancy Pelosi had to say, yeah, it was a good deal. People were saying, oh, he's going to touch NAFTA. He's going to ruin the economy. They didn't know anything. So remember, Trump was supposed to be the guy who did not understand policy and on his biggest policy initiatives on the domestic front and dealing with trade internationally, uh, he was remarkably successful. I could sit here and talk to you about the judges, three Supreme Court judges, uh, three Supreme Court justices, uh, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch and ACB. They will put a mark on the court. For decades to come, hopefully better than John Roberts, what we got from Bush. That's for sure. All the different federal judges across the judiciary, Trump appointees and high five Mitch McConnell for getting it done there, too, and not backing down. We've gotten a lot in the first four years of the Trump presidency. And now here's part of why I feel like no matter what, no matter what, we will win. 
What do I mean by that? I do believe Donald Trump, when I speak to you tomorrow, will be either the president for four more years or in the process of getting a final declaration of being the president for four more years. I do believe that. But even if that were to, let's say, and it's possible, if that were to not happen, uh, the Trump movement is not going to stop. Because while he was the messenger and he was the essential vessel for all of this, uh, we understand politics in a new way now. We have wartime conservatism spreading all throughout the land where we understand that the other side views this as zero sum. They don't want moderation. They don't want mitigation. They want power and they want to wield it. And working within our system and stealing ourselves with whatever principles and courage we can, we have to push back, fight back and win. That's where we are. You got to win or else you're going to be subject, uh, subject to the bad policies, decision making and statism of the other side. Trump has reminded us of that. He's reminded us of more than anybody else, the dangers of even thinking for a moment that you should bend the knee and apologize to your enemies. They don't want your apology. They want your destruction. Why are you going to bend the knee? One of the favorite games among conservatives in the media in years past was to find other conservatives who needed to show their principle by throwing a conservative or throwing a Republican official or somebody under the bus, you know, as kind of an offering to the, oh, I'm one of the good ones, God, right? As kind of uh, some kind of buying off the other side so that the you know, New York Times might say something nice about you at some point. That was the Romney-McCain conservatism of the past or Republicanism of the past. I think it's gone forever. So we should celebrate that, or at least it's gone for the foreseeable future. And that's because of Donald Trump as well. Uh, there is now a whole new cultural movement uh, because of Trumpism. And let's just say it. I, I haven't really even spoken to you about this before. Donald Trump has made the Republican Party cool. Donald Trump has allowed uh, a whole generation of younger voters, younger people out there to understand that we are pushing back against the hive mind. We are pushing back against the Borg, against this uh, wokeism and this completely absolutist demand of the left that there can be only one view on any issue. And that that's the way it has to be. And you're not even allowed to dissent. Never mind. Get your way. We have funnier memes. We have more joyful and safe and respectful political rallies. There's a whole political culture out there because of Donald Trump. It's changed, and it's one that's for the better. So, yes, there are people I could start to point to um, as the hopes of the party for the future. I mean, I know people will talk about, you know, Josh Hawley. I know people will bring up, oh, Ted Cruz has still got a whole new chapter left here. I mean, there's a lot of folks in the Republican Party who understand how we can actually fight and win because of Donald Trump. So remember that tonight as we go forward. I am confident, but I'm also a realist. But no matter what happens in the end, I know the Trump movement will continue because it's not finished. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I mean... We're winning. We're doing this thing. And as crazy as this present moment 
um, can can feel and as and as much work as we have to do, you know, I'm already tired for the work that we already have to do no matter what the outcome is. But the fact of the matter is that the momentum is on our side and that we're winning and that we've won the generational argument and that millennials are radicalized and Gen Z is out here with 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 class consciousness. And really, I truly believe that we're winning this. And I'm so incredibly excited. So that's the view from the other side. Millennials are radicalized. Yes, I know that liberals tend to win with younger people. Why is that? You know, we should always ask that question. Why is it liberals do so well with 25-year-olds who don't know very much about life, who don't know very much about how things really work? Maybe that's because liberalism appeals to that part of the brain where things feel good and would be nice if those things were true, but is not anchored in the experience and wisdom and knowledge of living life. AOC, in a sense, is a walking embodiment of that ignorance. She's somebody who mouths all the slogans you'd expect of a of a young Marxist who has managed to build herself up using all the institutions that are dominated by the left, as we know, whether it's academia, the media. uh, And her ideas are going to be the ones that we are fighting against in the future. They're bad ideas. They do not work. They do not work in other countries. They will not work here. But the threat is very real that. If the Democrats do say take this White House and also take the Senate, they will try to enact some of this. Now, the good news, and I like to give you as much of the good news as possible today, because I know people are on edge. and I know there's a little sense out there right now that it feels like we might wake up in a very different country. We might wake up with a soon to be very different governing philosophy from the elites. But one of the great holdovers, one of the great uh, continuations that we have from the Trump presidency is that the elites have been exposed. They've been shown to be wanting in so many ways. And I think you're talking about a generation that's radicalized. I think there are now many generations, not even just younger people, but a whole bunch of folks out there across America that because of Trump, when they're told, do this because I say so, and here's my title, or here's my degree, a lot of Americans now more than ever will say, why? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We could have a, a, a prolonged period where we, we don't have a legitimate transfer of power for the first time in our history. And I believe the stress out of that, the economic dislocation and the violence of that uh, could be uh, just terrible. So I'm, I'm praying that doesn't happen. But I think that we have to we have to realize that given the extreme nature of this president, given the fact that he he has no bottom, he, he it's very clear. Um, as I said the other night, you know, Al Gore, when he lost in a very close, uh, ultimately Supreme Court decided vote, he took a bullet for the country. Donald Trump will put a bullet into the country. And, and if we if you don't if you don't think that's true, then you haven't been paying attention in the last four years. I mean, here's one of the great overrated underwhelming pseudo intellectuals of the last 30 years, Tom Friedman of the New York Times, a guy who happened to be in the right place at the right time at one point in his career for a lot of things going on in the Middle East. And then from a policy perspective was stunningly wrong about the Middle East reliably for about the last 20 years. And he's somebody who the uh, liberal readership of the New York Times would treat as though he, he was 
gospel on these issues. Just wrong. Wrong on so much. And wrong on Trump. Notice this. Trump has no bottom. What basis do they have for that? What what is the horrific, unconstitutional action that President Trump in these four years has taken? What is it that he's done exactly? And whenever I say this, I'll get some some muttering and some sputtering about good people on both sides or, you know, rapists and murderers coming across the border. So I said, so either comments taken out of context that led to no action. And in the case in, in both of those cases, for example, are just completely misrepresented. I mean, they're straight up lying about the Charlottesville. That's a lie. They're lying about the Charlottesville comments that happened all along. That's no bottom for a president. Really? What's what is the thing that he's done? You know, I, I really I love asking liberals this question because they look at me like I'm crazy. And then they start saying things that sound like it comes out of the Joe Biden gibberish book of. What is that? What does that even mean? What is the horrible thing Trump's on his tweets? That's the reason we're supposed to be so concerned about a, a Trump coup because he calls out the mainstream media. One of the great victories of the Trump era is that the legacy media now they're not done, but they're on a pathway to they're on a pathway to losing the power and influence that they've enjoyed really for the last you know 50 years. It's it's now on the way out. This, oh, but if I if I'm on the Peacock channel or something and if I'm on NBC or if I'm on, oh, this is why are any of these, these these places impressive? Who is it that they put before you to tell you what's going on in the country that you should listen to? You have a lot of options now. You have endless options, actually, from whom to get your information. Anyone really believe that they, they have the best, the brightest, the smartest at CBS Evening News where Dan Rather, that clown was was the top of the masthead for how many years? Where it's CNN, Anderson Cooper, and you know, Fake Tapper, and Chris Cuomo. These are the people that we're supposed to think are honest arbiters of the truth. No intelligent person who's well-informed could believe that. It's not possible. But there's a lot of brainwashing that goes on. And people don't like to feel as though they've been brainwashed, and so they'll cling to ideas even when they've been proven faulty. Trump has shown us that the mainstream media as as a general principle, the mainstream media is dishonest and fraudulent. He's shown that unequivocally. He's shown us this. And that's going to linger. That's going to stay. I mean, the Hunter Biden suppression is just the most recent example of this. But we've gone going back for years now. I mean, Russia collusion is such a farce. It was so embarrassing I never believed it for one second. I was never wrong about a single aspect of it. And I'm just a guy who brings his life experience and his you know, reading of books and news sites to do some analysis here. I'm not a thousand person news gathering organization like the New York Times. How is it that I was right about all of that? And the New York Times, you know, a billion dollar media company are probably worth a lot less than that now. But, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, is so wrong. How is that possible? Well, because of the massive brainwashing that goes on and people want to be comfortable in the crowd. They want to feel like they're part of the smart, good people idea. And the moment you start to ask questions and you hold your own side accountable, that can feel uncomfortable. 
And if you're not used to that because you're a leftist and, you know, you grew up in Brooklyn and you, you know, you went to a, uh, I don't know, a Montessori school and then you went to, a, you know, your local public school and then you went to you know, Wesleyan and then you get a job as an assistant editor at the New York Times. You've never been confronted with ideas that you don't agree with and you don't like. And that's true. You can play that out in cities across the country, right? This would be true of somebody growing up in Chicago and Los Angeles. You're just surrounded with the echo chamber effect. You really want to believe that maybe what you've been told is, if not entirely untrue, at least often at odds with the truth. Often an exaggeration. I mean, there you had Tom Friedman. This guy is, you know, incredibly rich. I think he married a very, very wealthy woman. And, you know, he's done well in his own right, too. And he goes around waxing philosophical about how Trump is a danger to the country. And let's all remember, friends. And, you know, he, he's one of the, the great relics of the establishment media. He had a New York Times column when that was the absolute top of the editorial heap. It would really be pre-Internet, early days of the Internet. You know, nothing could come close to that in terms of reach um, and, and the power. Think about the influence these people had. There was no competition, really. Yeah, there were little rinky-dink newspapers and, you know, there were some, uh, you know, upstart conservative publications, editorial publications here and there. But there was nothing that could match up in the late 90s, the early 2000s with the New York Times and the Washington Post. They're losing that grip on power now. And they have to hide their writers and, and the people that work for them from the public, because when we find out what they really believe, how unfair they are to Donald Trump as a general rule, how much they're a bunch of partisan activists and not really journalists, people see this and they go, wow, OK, so I really shouldn't trust them. So it's true what Donald Trump says about the fake news, the reason it stings them so much, the reason it bothers it bothers the media and they act like. You know, they're being marched off to prison cells every time he just makes fun of them at a rally is because, one, they have, especially at the national TV journalism level, huge, inflated and completely unjustified egos. And two, they they really deep down know that they're frauds. They will never admit that, but they know what they do is fraudulent. They know that there's a, a fundamental dishonesty to what they're presenting to their audience every day. They're not going to talk about it at cocktail parties, but it's there and it's true. So Trump's war against the media, I'm here to tell you as we're going into this election night. Um, and you can check out I'll be doing live coverage on the first TV with my friend uh, Jesse Kelly tonight, starting at eight o'clock. So if you don't have the first TV app, download it and uh, check it out. We're going to have Bill O'Reilly will be joining us, Dana Lash. And we've got a great lineup and a lot that we're going to want to share with you over the course of the night. And look, team, I want you there with me. I want you, uh, you know, there with me uh, working through all this stuff. So the other part of this that I wanted to say is we have a tremendous, tremendous uh, victory in the Trump camp just by the defeat of the mainstream media's uh, foundational underlying faulty premise of what they do. That's never going to change. And that's something that we can build on now more than ever. The legacy media's grip on Americans' perceptions and, and imaginations is slipping. Yes, I know we've got a big... The next battle is really going to be against big tech. And that's one we have not figured out. We have not won that one. But against the mainstream media, they're, they're not replicating their audience. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're going to lose their ability 
uh, to continue to dominate the narrative just because of, of built-in advantages, incumbency, effectively. That's why people still watch CNN, because it's been on the air, and it was on the air when there wasn't a lot else, and has a brand, and people know it. And, and now it's just turned into a liberal echo chamber, which makes people feel good. They just want to be told all the time that their ideas are right. And that's what Tom Friedman does in the New York Times, and so many others. I mean, he just happened to say something stupid about the president today. That's why he's in the uh, Freedom Hut crosshair, so to speak. But, yeah. You could do this with countless people. They act like we've been through some horrific four years. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, this year has been bad for the country, but it's been bad for the whole world. And the way they blame Trump for this is reckless and dishonest, but it may work. It may work. At the end of the day, I think that'll be the that that's really what the referendum is about right now. Did did people believe at the end of all this And when we look back, did they think that Donald Trump handled this enormous challenge, the biggest challenge of his presidency by far? Did he handle this well enough or not? I think that will be the question that we look back on as the the defining one of this election. I think that he did a good job. And I think that it has been very challenging. Experts have been buffoonishly wrong all along during this. And the public has just had not only their irrational fears to begin with but the magnification of them for political reasons by the mainstream media has been just reckless i mean utterly reckless you even had to have uh, melania come out and say recently that people need to stop uh need to stop saying that the vaccine can't be trusted because of trump that is going to cost lives i mean that that is a really straight line you can draw between They watch CNN and they hear that you can't trust Trump's FDA to, well, I guess I'm not going to get that vaccine. And some of the people that make that choice probably will get the virus and probably will die. They don't care, though. That's just the call. That's just the cost of politics for the left now. That doesn't matter to them at all. That is a calculation they're willing to make. Meanwhile, if you try to live your life and go about your job, if you're the president, hold rallies, whatever it is that you're doing, um, you're a covid spreader and an immoral monster, and everyone should throw you out of office. There are so many big lies of the uh, Biden administration, um, uh, or rather the Biden campaign, which could be an administration within 24 hours, good God, or at least it will be in waiting. Uh, But the biggest one for me, I don't even know if I could say it's the biggest one, but the one that that strikes me as, well, there are two things. I'll say there are two things. That Joe Biden is an impressive, honorable a human being who should be president. I mean, that's just laughable. But beyond that, I mean, he's just an intense mediocrity who's done exactly what he needs to do for the maximum benefit of Joe Biden, his heirs and his associates. And then beyond that, that he has some plan, that he has some version of the future that's so remarkably better than what Trump has done so far with the COVID pandemic. They always say this. And then when you listen, it's what exactly is going to be the next What's the next big move? What's the next thing that's supposed to happen here? And then it turns into more Bidenism. What was that? How exactly am I supposed to make that into a policy? Oh, I'll listen to the experts. I'll listen to the science. This is uh, this is a phrase that is uttered by people who do not think for themselves. That's a phrase that you should recognize right away. This is a canned political slogan this doesn't mean anything what experts on what issue how 
what's the implementation of this? You know, this would be like someone saying, I'm going to become a better student. Okay, how? I'm going to study more. All right, well, how much more? What subjects? What makes you think that that's going to necessarily work for subjects where perhaps you're already falling behind? I mean, there's so many ways you can take this, but no, I'm just going to do more. I'm going to do more. What exactly? I haven't figured that part out yet. That's what Biden's telling you to do right now. Just trust him with that. I think a lot of Americans recognize that this is empty, this is hollow, but I'm worried. I'm worried. The media is still far more powerful than it should be. I've told you Trump's going to win. I think he's going to win, but I'm, pre- I'm prepared for whatever happens, friends. That's, if there's a central mantra, a central idea for this show, it's that we understand who we are, Freedom Hut, conservatives, Team Buck, the right, whatever, however you want to designate it. We know who we are. We know what we stand for. And we will never, ever stop fighting because the fight is what it's all about. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And last night, Trump said he was going to fire Dr. Fauci. Isn't that wonderful? I got a better idea. Elect me and I'm going to hire Dr. Fauci. And we're going to fire Donald Trump. Biden's just a depressing uh, going for the most depressing anti-Trump figure he can find. And so Fauci, I guess we'll have to do what has been Fauci's great point of leadership during this pandemic. Other than the stuff in the beginning where he was just flatly insanely wrong. Right. And he's supposed to know this stuff. You know, if somebody sat down with me and said, hey, Buck, how do you how do you do a radio show? You would think, given how many thousands, tens of thousands of hours, probably now, or at least thousands of hours of radio I've done. That I'd have some ideas. Fauci's done this for 40 years. And really, what did it all come down to? Uh, you know, I don't know. We're going to have to, you know, maybe just stay home forever. Wash your hands. You know, the mitigation works better if you stay away from human beings. Maybe 12, maybe 18 months. Who knows? You know, because the virus, you got to do more. To st- I mean, this guy, it's just it's just all bureaucrat crap from this guy. It's nothing. And, and they hold him up like he's some great hero. No, he's the James Comey of the moment. James Comey is a dishonest, slimy weirdo. No question about that now. But James Comey, when he was useful as a battering ram against Donald Trump, was, and I remember this, was held up by the media as like a great hero of the federal government, the ultimate G-man, the ultimate FBI guy. This guy is a a lawyer with a tremendous self-regard and, and an unbelievable sanctimonious uh, sanctimoniousness. And it's so funny to watch how now, yeah, he's still out there and he's on his book tour and he's rich and he's you know traveling around. But they just used him as long as he was useful and now no one cares. Now they realize this guy's just a lanky weirdo. And with Fauci, it's the same thing. They do this over and over again. Anybody who works in the government that you're told is some great hero uh, from the media's standpoint, it's always because that person is politically useful to them at that point in time. Because otherwise, you're saying there's somebody great in the Trump administration. Shouldn't Trump get credit for that? Wouldn't that make it seem uh, like a bit of a lie to constantly tell everybody how inept, chaotic? Remember all the, the talk about the chaos in the White House? That was a narrative that ran for you know a year or two. Chaos in the White House. No, the White House is fine actually. That was all a lie. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're going to mass distribute the vaccine in just a few short weeks. It's going to be coming out very soon, and we will quickly eradicate the virus, wipe out the China plague once and for all, get it the hell out of here. You know how I was telling you a year ago that the American people should really enjoy where we were because it was as pretty much as good as it was going to get? I was right. Uh, I'm also going to tell you this right now. We have something to look forward to. Uh, we will beat this virus at some point. Even if it becomes endemic within the population, uh, it will be something that is manageable and controllable to the point where only the most overanxious um, and just absurd you know, worriers are going to think that they can't go about normal life at that point. When we've got, I'm talking about with even better therapeutics, with more vaccines. There's some nanoparticle vaccine they're testing now on mice that's 10 times stronger than even the antibodies you get after. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's coming. I mean, think about it. The whole world's resources in the medical, uh, in the medical realm have been focused on this issue. So, yes, it's incredibly complicated. It takes time. But we are going to beat this thing. And just imagine what, that, imagine what that'll be like at your first barbecue, you know, at your first wedding or, um, you know, I mean, as a guest or whatever, going out to the bar, going out to your local watering hole, your favorite, you know, uh, pizzeria in the neighborhood. And everyone's just jammed shoulder to shoulder, laughing, coughing, talking, whatever. Right. And no one cares. We will get back there. That is coming. And I'm telling you this. I'm trying to remind everybody of this because we have been artificially depressed on on purpose by the media to make us all feel like Donald Trump has presided over this horrific event. That's his fault. It is a terrible situation, but it's that it's all his fault that forget about the fact that Europe is now having extreme lockdowns again. Stay. So, you know, there's I always say lockdown. We're talking stay at home orders now. We're talking you're not allowed to leave your home. That's now becoming a, a, a rolling a new series of policies in major European countries. I don't think it's Donald Trump's fault. I don't think it's the non-mask wearers fault that that's happening. Um, but that's what they'll tell you. That's what the plan will be. Notice how little you've heard about the vaccine. I have had uh, I have had in the last week or so, I, I had the uh, White House Doc, who's one of the top people on Operation Warp Speed, which, as you know, is the vaccine development group that the White House has set up. And when this thing is finally out there, I mean, this will be the fastest from outbreak to vaccine uh, that that medicine has ever gone. So to call it Warp Speed is entirely fair. You're not hearing about that, though. See, friends, they got a couple things. One is that bad news always does better for the media. Bad news gets attention, right? I, I could sit here and tell you uh, the sky is falling. We're all going to die soon. We're all going to die eventually, but we're all going to die soon. China's going to invade tomorrow. You, know, you can just talk about all this crazy stuff, but people will listen. When you tell people because it comes from a place of honesty and you want them to feel better, when you tell a lot of folks, hey, we got things to be optimistic and positive about. Yeah, some people understand that that's important to hear, too, but a lot of folks, oh, no, you don't, you don't want to say that, you know, say if it bleeds, it leads. Tell us stories of calamity and how America's best days are behind it and all this kind of stuff. 
look, if Joe Biden wins, America's best days may be behind it. But I'm an optimist. What can I tell you? I'm an optimist because you got to be. And this is an ethos. I talked about wartime conservatism, but you got to be a happy warrior. Got to understand that at the end of the day, what matters is who you are, what you do with your life. You know, we're all pushing for the least onerous government possible and the government that can be a a government that can be more moral in its actions, uh, more fair uh, in the way that it applies the law and that respects individual rights and and constitutional principles. It's never going to be perfect and we're going to have losses as well as victories. We know that. So we take it up. We take a mature approach to all this. We view all this, I think, in the way that adults should. Now, when I say we, I mean, that's the general ethos of conservatism. Democrats are going to melt down like the witch in the Wizard of Oz after water is thrown on her. They're melting and they're not going to be able to handle it at all. Act like a bunch of crybabies if they lose, if they win. Oh, my gosh, they're going to be sore winners, which is fine. See, the thing is, I don't care if they do break dances in the end zone, so to speak. I I don't care. Fine. okay, if if they manage to, you know, so they so they hoodwink the American people with this, you know, geriatric buffoon Biden. And uh, in, a, in a pandemic year, they were able to squeak out a victory against Donald Trump. Do they really think that Trump is done after this. They really don't think that one of Trump's children is going to run or somebody who was very close to the administration who's already in elected office and will carry the mantle of Trumpism forward isn't going to run in four years. It's not over, friends. Right now. If they take the Senate and they take the White House and they hold the House, maybe time to start looking at property in Costa Rica. I don't know. I mean, may- maybe it's time to start thinking about it. Oh, see, we don't do that. I'm just kidding. We don't do that thing that all the libs do. I'm going to move. I'm going to leave. Sure you are. Sure you are. Yeah, they're going to go. They're going to go some far, far off place where they won't get nearly as much attention when they talk about how their politics is uh, politics are not working out the way they want them to. But we are going to have a vaccine soon. I want to go back to this. We're going to have a vaccine. You're not hearing about it. It's weeks away from approval. Once it's approved, if we get this vaccine to, you know, the first the first 10, 15, 20 million Americans who get it, if they're in that high risk category, so frontline healthcare providers and then people just in the general population who are who have a comorbidity and are also over the age of 65 and we get that vaccine out there to them, you're going to see huge benefit already the case number and, and they, they don't talk to you about this I, look i think covid is the biggest story of this year by far i know other people are going to spend most of today on hunter biden's laptop friends i always tell you the truth look i, I think if i was just chasing ears and ratings all the time yeah i would j- nothing but hunter biden laptop all day all night all the time i don't think that's what's going to determine ohio florida pennsylvania michigan wisconsin i don't i don't buy it I'm glad the story's out there. I think uh, people did great work on it, and it showed beyond any doubt how corrupt and dishonest the media is. So don't get me wrong. But if we're really talking about how in this last moment as people, as I'm speaking to you, people are in line across the country making this decision. Maybe even some of them are listening to this show before they're going or perhaps even in the line. Um, and I'm trying to di- I'm trying to defeat this faulty narrative that covid is donald trump's fault because i think that that's the way the democrats believe they're going to win this thing 
And they just ignore the Hunter Biden thing the way that they have, because the people that really get worked up about that have already known that Hunter Biden was scummy and that Joe Biden was running a influence peddling operation. And we've already known that. We've already known that. And I always tell you, I remind you, I said the same thing about Benghazi and I was right. You know, it was great for Trey Gowdy's media career, but it, it didn't actually do anything. Uh, the, the hearings I'm talking about, it, it didn't, you know, who, who went to jail? Who was did it even stop Hillary Clinton from mm, you could try to argue that. But the emails were a much bigger deal uh, for Hillary than than Benghazi was. I don't even remember people even talking about. I tried to get Benghazi Hillary going for a while as a joke. It didn't even work. People wouldn't even bring it up. Covid is the deciding factor in this year, in this election. Um, And that's why it's important to remind everybody that vaccines are coming that Trump got the PPE, Trump used the Defense Production Act. He did listen to the experts. I mean, they're saying, think about how how warped this mentality has become. The claim is that Donald Trump didn't listen to the experts. Meanwhile, Trump shut off travel from whole regions of the globe by executive order, shut down our borders and assisted and yes enabled states in unprecedented lockdown and stay at home orders this has never been done before and it was done on the advice of experts and they say he did not listen to the experts how is this claim even remotely credible how is this something that anybody could believe at this point just look at what's actually happened in fact one of my criticisms and i will tell you i'm very uh, happy that to this day, the one thing when I had my hour long sit down with the president back in uh, May in the Oval, and we talked about a lot of stuff, some on the record, some off the record. You know, the off the record was mostly what I think about different people in different parts of the government that I remember from my time. And the uh, the on the record stuff, I've shared some with you here. But the big part of it was I just I looked at him and I said, Mr. President, just please, sir, no second, no second lockdown. And he looked at me and he said, Buck, we're not doing it. We're not. We're going to put out the fires as we go. You've heard him use it. I asked him that question and what he said to me. And I'm I'm not trying to make a big deal of this. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. What he said to me, he then went out and told and blasted to because he realized I got to get out. You know, we got to make sure people know I'm not pushing for a second lockdown. And he talked about the same putting out the fires as they come up idea. He said that to me in the Oval. And for the first time ever, I saw him now. I probably should have reported that when he said it to me, but I was I was more focused on the conversation with the leader of the free world and not trying to run out there and tweet about it right away. Uh, But he he said, we're not doing it. And he was definitive on it. And, you know, he he was absolutely locked in on why we should not lock down again. And that's going to be a huge difference between what you see if you have a Biden win versus a Trump win, they will lock down the country. Let, let me give you my my example of, of, of the mentality here. I was in I was in Afghanistan in 2010. I was a effectively the intel liaison to a four star to the four star general running the theater at the time were uh, theater of uh, operations. And so I was everything from the intel side that was going to him. I was bringing actually you know involved in bringing to him, briefing him on and and I was seeing all this stuff. And I remember the Obama administration comes in, you know, early on, 
you know, before I was in country, the Obama administration had come in and their whole thing was Iraq was the bad war, Afghanistan's the good war. So there was this whole effort to come up with, well, we're just going to leave Iraq because and then we're going to do all the stuff in Afghanistan. They had a big policy review in Afghanistan. This is the Obama administration, big policy review. And then they're going to figure out because they're the smart people, Obama, Biden, that whole team. They're the smart people. They're going to fix it. Well, I was there and I remember thinking there's no way that what they think they're going to do here is going to work. And no one in country at the time who knew Afghanistan well thought it was really going to work. But they, you know, surged a hundred, a hundred thousand plus troops in country and did all this stuff. They did it because Obama didn't want to look weak and he had made the case and he had to follow through on the case that he made come hell or high water. Didn't matter what the reality on the ground was. That same mentality is going to be why Joe Biden takes us into a just a series of continued draconian covid. This is what I've been saying. I must be right. Let's do that thing. Irrespective of what when you actually are in that decision making seat, it's different than being in the election, irrespective of what people who really know the data and know the facts are telling you. So, no, no, no. I, I said this must be true. So therefore, we're going to do it. You're going to we're heading into lockdowns like you've like we've never seen before. If Biden wins. Because they're right. That's what they think, because we're right. We're going to do this to prove to everybody. And it's unfalsifiable. That's the thing about it. That's the most annoying for me. Well, a lot of things about it are annoying, but they're going to um, claim that whatever the numbers are, they would have been much worse. Whatever they make us do, whatever nonsense they put us through with the masking and distancing and all this stuff that they're going to mandate now, which means the force of government is behind it, which means they're going to have to punish people. They're going to have to actually make you do this stuff or else it's not a mandate. Uh, whatever it may be, they're going to say we saved lives and the media will say, yes, the media will all be chirping right alongside them. They saved lives. They saved lives. Look what they did. It's not going to be true. In fact, you know how they always talked about how Trump inherited the Obama economy. If Biden wins, he's going to inherit the Trump virus response, which is basically about to hand him a vaccine. And, and what do you think? Do you think Biden's going to going to give credit if he takes if he takes over in January and the pandemic by March is basically done because the virus has been distributed for nine. I mean, the uh, vaccine's been distributed for 90 days. You think Biden and anybody else is going to say, wow, I guess the Trump administration warp speed did it. No, they're going to say, yeah, we, we we won. We fixed it. Get ready for it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Figure this now. The president of the United States of America was responsible for so many deaths. He had the goal to suggest that American doctors, the people who have been on the front lines of this crisis for nine months, along with nurses and so many others, many of whom have died, to suggest that doctors are falsely inflating deaths due to COVID because they want to make more money. I'm, I'm serious, man. This guy's a disgrace. Why is that so unbelievable? Someone's died. They may have had COVID. Maybe they have a positive COVID test. PCR testing. Joe Biden doesn't know this. PCR testing amplifies what's in your system dramatically to see if they can uh, if they can determine an infection. So it can pick up old it can pick up old dead virus in your system. I mean, there's PCR testing is highly imperfect. 
But so if you run a PCR test in somebody, it says they've got COVID. But they died of who know, you know, any number of other other things. I mean, listing that as a COVID death, if it also means that there's going to be additional federal funding that goes to the hospital for that treatment. Why wouldn't they do that? If someone's dead. I mean, they tried to save them. There's nothing you can do about it at that point. Why? I mean, really think this one through. Why is that so beyond the pale as far as Biden? No, because it's demagoguery from Biden. This guy has been a, a shameless, brainless demagogue his entire life. That's all he is. Just a mouthpiece for Democrat slogans. Does not know anything. Is not smart. Does not have good ideas. His only success is in saying what he has to say to keep getting reelected. And until recently, even the Democrats kind of understood this. They, they were like, yeah, I mean, that guy's a loser. We're not going to we're not going to elect him. Oh, now they got nothing else. Now they got nothing else. Hmm. Oh, well, there's also uh, Kamala. Here's what Trump says about Kamala. Play 21. Our country could never be the same country uh, if they win because they're radicalized left. Uh, Joe Biden will never call the shots. And if he does, he's not going to be there very long. He's got a vice president who's further left than Bernie Sanders, uh, who is not a particularly good person. And she would be, I think, a terrible first representative if, if she if she became the first woman president i think it would be a terrible thing for a country i think it would be a terrible thing for women remember kamala harris if she does step in for biden which i really i know that's something that people will say and it's one of these predictions that no one's going to be held to account for if it doesn't come to pass i i do believe it's going to happen i think if if kamala if kamala biden win this or biden harris win this uh, election there's a very good chance joe biden steps down and gets to look if i were joe biden i was almost 80 and i could be a hero for all eternity written about in the history books as the man that brought about who was you know wingman to the first african-american president of the united states although technically eric holder said he was wingman but you know what i mean the number two to the first african-american president and then uh was also the guy who brought into being the first female african-american president Joe Biden's a hero for all eternity. Why? Why mess that up with being a terrible president? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I noticed that Biden went out and I think he's campaigning a little because he's worried. We've seen tremendous swing changes. We've seen actually in the last three days. This reminds me. I hope it reminds me of uh, four years ago. Tremendous changes have taken place over the last week. Tremendous. And like what? We think we're winning Texas very big. We think we're winning Florida very big. We think we're winning Arizona very big. I think we're going to do very well in uh, North Carolina. I think we're going to do very well in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, we, we think we're doing very well everywhere. But, and it, it, it's more than thinking. You know, we're seeing trends. Right. And so you can tell this isn't just like taking a poll. This is based on trends. And we think we're doing very well in states. A lot of states, really. A lot of states. Could you just hear the president's exhaustion there? And I play that for you because it, it won. I, I like to hear the president's optimism about this. Of course, at this phase, he's going to be optimistic. He's got to be. Right. But I mean, this guy, I was talking before about a happy warrior. You know, president Trump's in his 70s. Guy's worth whatever it is, a billion plus. 
And he is going all out to get reelected. I mean, when you used to hear the media say he doesn't even want to be president, he, he's going to finish. Remember, that was a way to get on MSNBC or CNN for years. Just go on TV if you had ever worked for Trump or knew Trump. Oh, he's not even going to finish. He's going to. This is before the Mueller probe was over, right? Oh, he's going to step down. He's not going to. He doesn't even want to be president anymore. That's what they used to say. This guy is like an ultra marathoner in politics. He has been doing rally after rally all over the place. Showing you what hunger for victory really looks like. And for somebody at his stage, at his age, to go after it with this kind of just just ferocity and tenacity. This guy's amazing. You know, one thing, and there's a lot of, I guess... I want to have some Trump appreciation with you today. It's one of the things I want to do, because however this election shakes out tonight, and it's crazy that we're here on Election Day and it feels like the time is just flying by. But however, it actually ends up going down. um, I just feel like you got to think this guy has an almost inhuman level of endurance and energy endurance for the hatred, for the slings and arrows of the media and the Democrats and everything. You know, that's really one of Trump's superpowers. Uh, he, he doesn't apologize. And he, they also they can't they can't make him bend the knee. They can't slow him down. They can't stop him. He just keeps fighting. He just keeps coming. It's a really important life lesson. You know, the older I get, the more challenges that I've seen. And and I, as I watch not just my own life, but other people that I know how things work out for them. And, you know, one of the biggest factors going into any you know how you do those uh, pregame analysis of, oh, you know, the, the quarterback has this rating and uh, this is their this is how many yards per carry on the for the running back and all this. If, if I'm doing that with a with a person for any challenge in life, the thing that I want to know is, are, are, do they have endurance? Do they have endurance and are they durable? Will they stay in it and will they take incoming? Because if someone's really good at that. The odds, the odds all of a sudden flip to their side. And Trump politically is just a beast when it comes to that stuff. I've never seen anything else like it. Can you imagine? They call this guy a rapist, a traitor, a tax cheat. I mean, I can't even think of all the stuff they've said about him. He's crazy. I mean, like actually not of sound mind and should be replaced with the 25th Amendment. They'll say all this stuff. And he just looks at them and he goes, yeah, you're fake news. And I'm going to I'm going to sign this trade deal. I'm going to, you know, get this agenda item done that I promised Trump voters in 2016. Uh, Look, he hasn't finished the wall, but there have been a few hundred miles of wall built. And people who say, oh, it's just upgraded fence. They don't know what they're talking about. The difference between the wall that Trump has built and what was there? I've seen it. I've been I've, I've touched it. I've been at the wall and been at the fence. Uh, and what you had in place before is a is a decrepit joke that you could walk past or get over in a second. I mean, it'd be like walking into a, you know, if you're at a horse farm or something, you have to hop over a horse fence. It's kind of like that. It really wouldn't stop anybody. The stuff they have put in place, the metal slats. Uh, That's the most effective one that I've seen. And the double layer fence that they've built. You better be really dedicated to get across that. And the chance of you, if you try to illegally cross, being arrested and being processed, pretty high. It's a huge difference. 
But the Democrats used uh, lawfare and every trick they could to stop the wall building process and to slow him down. And there were there were some successes they had with that. But I just if there are lessons you can take from this Trump era for yourself and I try to remind myself of it. I mean, here's a guy who could just be he's got you know, he's got a beautiful family. He's got grandkids. He's got friends everywhere. He's a TV star. He uh, Mar-a-Lago. He, you know, this guy can do whatever. This guy can just play golf and you know, hang with his hang with his beautiful family and play with his grandkids and, you know, eat the best food and fly private. I mean, he do whatever he wants. And he's doing this. He's doing this. He's putting himself in a position where people are trying to actively ruin his reputation, make him a pariah in American society, imprison his children. They don't ever forget that they wanted to take down Trump's family. It wasn't just enough to try to end his presidency. You know, they wanted to see Donald Trump Jr. marched in handcuffs, state charges if they could. Right. So Trump couldn't even pardon him. That was the plan. This is what the other side was trying to do. Did you ever feel like Trump at any phase, at any point in this? Just didn't have the fight in him anymore. I'm, I'm just telling you, this guy's amazing. It's amazing what he's done. And uh, what he's been willing to push through. And he really is the leader for for the right. He's the first one through the breach, waving his sword around, yelling at everybody else to, you know, hop over the rubble and get in the fight. And that's rare. That's a rare thing. This guy has been taking it head on. He has been at the forefront of this fight. You know, it's not like Democrats have all these minions and the media and all these people out there doing all the, you know, Joe, what is really the Joe Biden campaign? It's the mainstream media trying to convince America how great Joe Biden is. No one hears Joe Biden speak or looks at his record or anything and thinks, oh, yeah, this guy's impressive. Come on. Trump, on the other side, is the guy leading the movement. I mean, he is at the front of the cavalry charge. And he's gotten more and more of us behind him who aren't only just saying, you know, I'm with you. We're saying I'm with you till the end, man. Where are we going next? The, the movement that this that this guy has inspired and the ways that he's been. I mean, Trump has been the most pro-life president in my lifetime. You know, I got to tell you something. I, I don't usually get into this stuff in this kind of a personal way. I got a little nephew right now. Some of you may have seen the photo on Instagram. Most most beautiful little little boy you could ever see. I mean, it's amazing. I've never had a nephew, you know, from my immediate family before. And it's my little sister's son. He's absolutely the cutest thing possible. And, you know, without getting into into too much here on this, I give Trump so much credit for being the most pro-life president and putting forward judges that are considered an existential threat. And you know what? Now that she's confirmed, I hope she is an existential threat to Roe v. Wade. Um, He deserves a lot of credit for that, for speaking at the March for Life. I mean, this is a guy who has used his power and his political office to try to help protect tiny babies in huge numbers. That really matters. You know, the evangelicals in particular, but a lot a lot of Christians who took all kinds of of hatred, all kinds of stuff from Trump, from uh, from Trump haters in the past. When you look at what's going on right now, they made quite the right choice in 2016, and I hope they turn out in droves and make the right choice again now. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
It really is unbelievable. The fact that people are boarding up their businesses for an election should alarm us. I mean, if anyone needed any more proof that he didn't make America great again, there's plywood in the windows at the Wetzel's Pretzels across the street from us. Our pretzels are being threatened by this man. What else do you need? It's like you'd think we were preparing for a zombie attack. Nobody knows what's going to happen. We're preparing for a Democrat attack, Jimmy Kimmel. We all know it. Who does the looting? Who does the rioting? Who commits the arson in the name of political differences? Democrats. Who did this all summer in cities throughout the country? Biden voters. We know this. It's not up for debate. It's not up for discussion. At, at all these BLM rallies and, you know, Antifa uh, mayhem sessions, they have anti-Trump hatred all over the place. They absolutely despise this president. And they want the left and the Democrat Party as the vessel for the left to be in charge. But look at the way that they make jokes about this as if we're all morons. Yeah, the, the windows are boarded up because of Biden voters. And I live on a street where there are boarded up stores right on my block. I've got family members who are saying that they're not going to go out after dark tonight. And, you know, we've lived in New York our whole lives. But who knows what the rioting mobs are going to do? I don't be out near that. Democrats, though. No one thinks it's going to be an army of red MAGA hat wearers running around, destroying businesses, lighting things on fire. We all know it's going to be Biden voters. When you look online and see where you have the most shrill, illegal and insane tactics in the name of politics, it's from Democrats. This is why I got so frustrated with that bridge closure from Trump sports the other day. It's like, guys, don't do that. This 100 percent belongs to the other side. Being a political baby, being a sore loser, being a crybaby that has to get his or her way and is going to scream in people's faces and wants to deplatform people and yell at them in restaurants and just act like brats. That's a Democrat thing. That's their political culture. We should never let this be, uh, you know, muddied up. We should never let people feel like, well, it's on both sides. It is absolutely not on both sides. It is an extreme isolated occurrence on the right it is standard operating practice on the left that's why i mean it, it, new york city is boarding up the fanciest highest end shopping district in new york and one of them in the world fifth avenue right near where i live and is that because they think that trump supporters are going to riot trump supporters are outvoted in manhattan where i live eight to one we think it's going to be trump support and of course no one thinks that no one believes that, but they just go around spewing this nonsense. It will be Democrats. It will be Biden voters who are out in the streets destroying stuff, maybe even if they win, because that's how they celebrate. They like that rush of power and the uh, the lack of accountability they can just marinate in. Here's uh, here's the president pointing this out. I mean, he's just saying, look. When you see what's going on in these cities, it, it should be very clear to everybody who's to blame. Play 20. I think it's very sad. And part of the reason is it'll all be in Democrat cities, Democrat-run cities. It's going to be in Chicago, New York, and Portland, and Oakland, and you know different places, Baltimore. And that's because of weak leadership and weak, weak leadership and... Uh, you know, my side is a very strong side if they wanted to, but they don't like doing that. You know, they're proud of our country. They don't want to hurt our country. 
But the other side is radicalized Antifa. And uh, frankly, if you let people know that there will be hell to pay, you wouldn't have any problem. But they don't do that. They they have the cops stand back, stand back and watch looters walk washing machines and televisions out of stores. Uh, it's a shame to watch it. And yet they worry about Trump stealing the election. That's that's the main story you'll see today. Not that cities are preparing for an, an enormous wave of unrest. Why can't we just call them riots? I don't know why we keep unrest. Unrest is what I have after, you know, drinking a little too much coffee before I go to sleep. That's unrest. OK, these are riots. We should use the word. They're not mostly peaceful protests. They're riots and they're Democrat riots and the riots that Biden voters are going to engage in because They just simply emotionally and psychologically cannot handle the implications of the loss that I certainly hope President Trump is going to deliver them. And we will see by the time many of you listen to this, you'll already know where we stand. I'm having to do this in advance because then we're going to be going into some live coverage tonight. I'm running all over the place. So you will know more than I do at this stage of the show about where things stand. But I know where the country stands right now and I know what's happening in these cities. And anybody who tells you anything other than the Democrats have been reckless and irresponsible and cities have paid the price for it. It's just full of it, just full of it. In fact, I worry because, you know, I know a lot of you say, ah, Buck, you're in New York. You know, you, you get what you pay for there, right? It, yeah, but there are a lot of Republicans that live in many cities and we, you know, people have homes or they live in the immediate suburbs. They have homes and they, they can't just pick up and leave. They got their kids in school. It's not always as easy as just get up and go. I mean, yeah, you do have that option, but You'd rather not in many cases, even if you're living in some blue stronghold like New York, D.C., San Francisco. Um, But I think the exodus is going to accelerate dramatically, whether covid uh, is cured in the next six months or not, or, you know, cured dramatically lessened, whatever we want to say. Right. Whether covid by next summer, I think, is when we might actually be in a place that people aren't really worrying about it the way they are right now. Um, I think that's realistic. I think that's a realistic timeline. But if there are political riots and if neighborhoods are destroyed, remember, they always say, oh, it's only the Democrats that try to excuse this stuff. They'll say, oh, it's only 10 businesses that were destroyed in this area. Okay, first of all, if you owned or worked in one of those businesses, you'd probably feel very differently about that libs. But also, what what do people think that that does to the property values um, when everyone sees that, you know, if you live in the part of Minneapolis, whether residential or, or commercial Uh, property there and you were near the burned down police station you you think that helps your ability to get a new lease for a business in your in your building you you think that that makes your property value do better or worse who's going to buy a house down the block from the burned out police precinct i wouldn't sign up for that that doesn't make me feel good about a long-term future in that area So they're going to while they'll just say it'll be in parts of cities, the unrest that we're all expecting, the riots, use the word buck, the riots that we're all expecting. It has ramifications far beyond that. I think it'll really show that that cities are going to become increasingly lawless places because libs leftists, they have to really suffer. It has to turn into New York City in the early 90s when I lived here and you have to feel constant dread, constant fear when you go out at night and in certain neighborhoods and not even dangerous neighborhoods, just neighborhoods that are, you know, could be dangerous. 
And then eventually opinions change. Then eventually law and order becomes something that people really want on both sides of the aisle. But the Democrats, they need to suffer for a long time before they figure that out. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Act to deliver racial justice in America. Protesting is not burning and looting. The violence will not be tolerated. But the protesters a cry for justice. The names of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Jacob Blake, Walter Walsh. They're not going to be soon forgotten by me, not by anyone in this country. And they're going to inspire a new wave of justice in America. Joe Biden doesn't care about any of those people that he just named. I'm sorry, I just don't believe it. He doesn't care. But he needs a very robust turnout of the black vote in this country. And so he's a demagogue and he'll say what he thinks will be most effective for him in the moment. And that's exactly what he's doing. Joe Biden doesn't care when he's talking about uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Jacob Blake, Walter Wallace. Walter Wallace was the guy who was shot recently in Philadelphia, who is a violent felon in the past. So just remember that. So his interactions with police haven't always been friendly. We could put it that way. And he was coming at police officers with a knife. And he got shot. What is justice? They they use this term justice for. Okay, what does that mean? Does Joe Biden think that those two police officers body camera footage? There's cell phone camera footage. We've all we've all seen these things. We all know we don't have to guess at what happened. We have proof of what happened. What does Joe Biden think justice looks like in that case? It means that those two cops, what, tried for murder? Think about what that would do to members of the law enforcement community in Philadelphia and all across the country. Now we're at a place where cops, just because of the narrative, and because of social justice and a history of racial injustice in America, uh, sometimes cops are just going to have to get thrown in prison, have their lives ruined, be treated like murderers. Because somebody comes at them with a knife and refuses after multiple clear, obvious commands to put that knife down. Now, now, uh, now the new the new designation for police officers in this country is you got to be a target. You got to be willing to be a target. And and also, perhaps, I mean, maybe you need to get stabbed before you're allowed to use your your uh, service weapon. That's what we're being told by people like Joe Biden. What else is he saying? Justice. How? Are they going to say that it's justice when the grand jury does not return? I'm uh, sorry, not grand jury. When the uh, jury eventually in the trial of uh, uh, George Floyd, I do not believe that they will come back with a murder charge. I keep saying charge, sorry, with a murder conviction. Um, I think that they're going to come back and say maybe involuntary manslaughter. It's sort of a, a recklessness in the way that he was applying pressure that he should have known the guy needed help. But when you see the video before, George Floyd was saying he couldn't breathe for 10 minutes before anybody did anything to him. And he had enough fentanyl in the system to kill him three times over. His heart stopped. He did not die of asphyxiation. Uh, He died of a heart attack. Same thing that actually happened to Eric Garner in New York City with Officer uh, uh, Pantaleo here. Now, maybe the excessive force caused the heart, you know, excessive force caused the heart to fail. I mean, there's. There's an argument that can be made here, as I said, for involuntary manslaughter. But murder, murder is absolutely, absolutely not a warranted charge for the uh, officer involved, in the, uh, Derek uh, Chauvin, the George Floyd officer. And when you look at these other look, look at the cases they're bringing up here, 
uh, Breonna Taylor. What are they? What's justice for for the Breonna Taylor case? Her family got a thirteen million dollar check. I think no one says that Breonna Taylor deserved to be shot. Quite the opposite. It's a terrible tragedy. But she was caught in the crossfire of a shooting that her boyfriend started. That's what happened. Those are the facts. So she got thirteen million dollars, or her family, I should say, got thirteen million dollars in the city, and and, and which is a, the biggest kind of apology that they can make. We're sorry that your daughter was killed. It's terrible. But now do we want to we want to lock the officers up for murder? What else? What else is going to happen? Are you going to what? What other charge could there be? They talk about justice, and this is all meant to imply that these individuals were murdered by police, and therefore, until there is a a criminal homicide charge brought. What are we really what are we really talking about? What is the justice that there that Joe Biden says we seek? And remember, that demagoguery that he's engaged in was used by the Democrat Party all well, starting in starting in May until present for the whole summer. And it resulted in a lot of really you know challenging moments in this country where law enforcement were being attacked, physically attacked. Remember the lasers in the eyes from Antifa throwing bottles of urine and rocks and cops were murdered. You don't even hear about that, do you? Whatever happened to the did we ever find the person who shot two police officers? Uh, for, they were uh, sheriff's deputies in Los Angeles County. Did we ever find the guy who shot them. You ever hear any follow up about the Black Lives Matter supporters that have killed cops in this latest iteration of the BLM movement? No, there's not a lot of news stories on that, are there? It's not not interesting to the Democrat media. They don't want to talk about that. Does anyone really think their city is going to be safer? They're going to be better off with police feeling like they can't do their jobs without fear of extreme retribution from the law. I certainly hope that that's not the case and for for political motivations, of course. Um, But this is what we're seeing. What is the Democrat idea that's supposed to make us all better off? You know, you really have to ask that question. Taking more from rich people to give to other people. That's going to fix everything. That's really a central. The class warfare theme, that's central. Racial justice. How do we achieve racial justice? We should. Uh, we should ask that. What's really the plan? And we are. We have affirmative action in this country, which is legalized discrimination in favor of of um, oppressed minorities. Right. That's what affirmative action is. Doesn't doesn't count for Asians, doesn't count for Arabs, but it does count for uh, black and Latino and Native American. And you know, there's some other groups, I think, that all qualify for affirmative action. Okay, so we do we just do a lot more of that, even though the Supreme Court, I believe the next time it sees an affirmative action case will rightfully rule it to be unconstitutional. It is it is unconstitutional discrimination as much as people may like it. It is not equal protection under the law, Ah, but that's where we get into our whole Kamala equality versus equity discussion. Right. It's not about equality. It's not about the law treating you the way that it's supposed to treat any person. It's about what are you getting out of the state at the end of the day? What's the government giving you? And also, where are you? Do you have everything you want? No, somebody else's fault. It's because you weren't given enough at the start. And the government's going to make up for that. And one of the ways they're going to do that is by taking from other people who you think are in a better position. This is a this is a recipe for making people very unhappy, um, very, uh, very unhappy indeed. But 
This is what the Democrats offer up. And this is the the vision of the future that they give everybody. Oh, that plus a lot of electric cars play eight. Remember, Joe was responsible for saving the auto industry. Joe understands, listen, we're not going to make a false choice or take a false choice on what we need to do to save the climate with a climate crisis, but we see an opportunity here to actually grow the economy and build jobs. And so Joe has made a commitment. We will invest in America's auto industry so we are the number one manufacturer of electric vehicles. The number one manufacturer of electric vehicles. Doesn't that make you feel like, ooh, ooh, amazing for America. Ooh, it's going to be so great, our future with electric vehicles. Oh, gosh. These are just issues uh, that the Democrats love to talk about and never think about really the implications of having so much government policy involved. Never think about what it really will mean for their continued intrusions in the marketplace. And that's why the fracking issue for Biden, which I, I, I think... I think that we're going to look back and if Trump ends up winning Pennsylvania, which I don't believe, as you know, is even going to be determined tonight. So I think I'm on pretty solid ground there. But if Trump uh, ends up winning Pennsylvania, I do think that Biden's uh, comments on fracking and his history of opposition to uh, fossil fuels is going to be very central in that. But he's still saying, oh, I never I never did that. You know, I didn't oppose fracking. I opposed the slobber. Something like that. That's what Biden said. Play nine. I'm going to ask the big corporations, the wealthy, to step up. You know, 90 of the Fortune 500 companies trying to railroad you guys, 90 of them, didn't pay a penny in taxes. We're going to invest the money that we collect in working people, creating millions of good-paying union jobs, $2 trillion to build a more resilient infrastructure, roads, bridges, water systems, a whole lot more done by certified labor. And by the way, no matter how many times Trump tries to lie about it, I will not ban fracking. Never said I would. Yeah, we've uh, seen the video, Joe. You you said you wanted to ban fracking. Now, you can claim that you weren't going to ban it right away, but you you do want to ban it. You do want to get rid of it, which would destroy the energy industry, which will make everything in your life harder, more expensive and less accessible. Right. But ideologically they're they're devoted to this this green this really green socialism which is what it's all about why do you think they love the green new deal so much yeah they've they've brainwashed people into thinking the world's going to end unless they get their way with this but beyond that because this gives them the same way that they are able to use the health concerns of some to dominate the life choices of everybody they will with with the covid pandemic they'll also use the green new deal as a means of telling you what you can do with everything about the lights you can have in your home, about the food you can eat, about the car you can drive, what kind of work you can do. Everything. Everything becomes subject to government women regulation. There will be no area of life you can carve out that the green totalitarians won't be able to influence and or dictate. So is that is that the future you want for the country? I mean, it's certainly not the one that I do, but they believe that this is going to be somehow a... Uh, a, a huge job builder. Joe Biden only knows how to build jobs for immediate family members who are getting huge payouts from foreign governments for access to Joe Biden. That's really the only job he knows how to build. 
You know, we talked about, oh, we're going to build 10 million of green jobs in the future. You know who else was saying that about the millions of green new jobs? You know, green energy uh, jobs? Barack Obama. Did you, did you see millions and millions of great green energy jobs under the Obama administration? What happened there? Nah, you did not. It's too expensive, folks. The energy that they create with these different uh, these, these programs can't compete with what we've already got because of the advances in technology around fossil fuels. So what does it require? Government regulation and subsidy to prop it up. You know, it's not a good idea. You don't want the government determining uh, what housing should look like. You want the market determined. If you want the government determined, go look and see what it looks like in former Soviet countries. All these big, depressing cinder block boxes that look like they were built mostly just to withstand a nuclear strike. That's where everybody was living. Government in charge of housing. You want the government in charge of the uh, of the energy infrastructure in this country? Not not the market, not people paying and, and, and companies trying to make a profit. The government's going to come up with it. You think it's going to be cheaper? I mean, you know, you look at these these entities that the government runs. It always it always is slow, inefficient, expensive and unaccountable. Democrats don't care. You know, they, they have this fixation of the collectivist mindset and they can't they, they don't want to escape it. They want to and they want to make sure that they can. Put this through and make all of us live with their collectivist nightmare they want to they want to enforce upon us it's an, it's not going to go well folks but again i think i think by tomorrow we're going to be having a happy conversation that's my hope that's you know i'm going to come in here producer mark is going to be in a great mood i'm going to be in a great mood everything's going to be good right we'll know by tomorrow a little bit of nervousness tonight a little bit of nervousness tonight about how this is going to shake out not going to lie you're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. First of all, we're going to know the winner of this election by 10 o'clock tomorrow night. By what and time? What people are doing is just unnecessarily scaring people and making them unnecessarily nervous. That, that event he had, David Clough is 100% right. That event in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is a state if he loses, I don't have to wait on Pennsylvania to lose in North Carolina. He's going to lose. And that was like, that event was literally insane that you're in eastern North Carolina in a state that you got to win and you're talking about some post at Fox News. It's insane that anybody, any politician would use that as a closing argument. I, I am not the least bit concerned about the outcome tomorrow night. And I'm not the least bit concerned that we're going to have to wait weeks or months to find out what the result is. We're going to know, and we're going to know pretty early. He said 10 o'clock. We're going to know. So we'll see. Look, it's, it's uh, a lot of you, as you listen to this, are going to know whether or not it's looking like that's the case. He said 10 o'clock, and I guess we'll see. I don't believe Pennsylvania is going to be able to be determined tonight. That's what I've been saying all along, and I, I stand behind that. I also got to tell you, with James Carville, I never... I can never get that, uh, I don't know, not, not angry at the guy, but I, I kind of lay off him or whatever because I really like Mary Madeline, his wife. She's a really lovely person, so I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't go after the raging Cajun with, uh, with all of my gusto because I've got to respect the fact that I, I think Mary Madeline's a, a lovely, lovely person, and uh, they're married, and I hope that they have uh, many, many more happy years together. So see, your personal relationships, folks, it's what, what really matters uh, when you're talking about this stuff and not... Not, you know, trying to go uh, buck hunting. See, if I say buck hunting, does this, doesn't it sound like I'm hunting myself, though? 
I miss that. I miss that video game. I, I've also decided that, you know, during if we're going to have another lockdown over the wintertime, I'm just going to give up. And if I if I become really good at video games, well, then because the gym shuts down, there's nothing else to do. That's the way it's going to be. My mind's already getting ready for a long, cold winter of. Look, you, you got to prepare psychologically for the chance that it's not going to shake out the way that I want it to tonight. I mean, I'm very confident Trump's going to win. Very confident. And if you happen to be listening to this and you're still in line or you're still thinking about going and your polls have not closed yet, go. I went and I'm in New York City. If I can go and I'm in New York City where my vote is utterly meaningless and there's no chance that Trump's going to win. Wherever you are, you know, it's it's easy. You can just listen to the Buck Sexton show podcast while you're in line and that will entertain you and you don't have to worry about anything else. Then, then you're good to go. So you're not wasting time. You're listening to the Buck Sexton show. And if you haven't listened to the Dracula podcast yet, you definitely should. The real Dracula. It's history. It's not like a spooky Halloween show so much as it's a history story. And then we got to get the uh, Malta podcast going, which I also think uh, we got one of the can already. I got a second one we're going to do. It's going to be a two-parter for Malta. And I want to get a bunch of these history shows done. So that that's another bit of psychological insurance, I think, for myself, that I've got these projects that are not political per se that I'll be finishing before the end of the year. So that keeps my mind at least engaged in things that are not going to be trying to uh, process. I don't know why all of a sudden toward the end of the show, I'm starting to think, oh, gosh, what if I'm what if I was wrong? What if Trump doesn't win? What am I going to do? It'll be all right. Well, whatever. Friends, we'll we'll jump back into the trench shoulder to shoulder shields high. That's how we'll do. We'll do it. Although I guess if you're in a trench, you probably aren't using a shield particularly that wouldn't make a lot of sense but you know what i'm saying we'll get back into it and make sure that we uh are ready if that's actually not true there would be some times that there would have, they would have been digging a trench the romans would uh, use fortifications like that even though they would still have had okay i know I'm, I'm geeking out on that a little bit so we'll see by tomorrow friends we'll see if uh, the predictions have been correct that i've made here so far and uh what the future of the country is going to be it's kind of amazing it's like a time capsule game here where i'm telling you and then i can go back and on november 4th we shall see if my uh, skills of prognostication hold up or if we're really just focused on the battle for the future of this country which is going to be underway no matter what Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. All right, we're going to have a lot, of, a lot of interesting roll call this week, either a lot of very happy Team Buck folks or a whole bunch of very, very disappointed ones, depending on how the night goes. But uh, remember, if you want to send us your thoughts, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or teambuck at iheartmedia.com and bucksexton.com. I, ed- I have an editorial up there on my election prediction and why I think we're going to win and that kind of stuff. We'll have more and more there. BucksAction.com, the totally revamped site. It looks great. You can listen to the podcast there. We, we got It's going to become more and more a one-stop shop for all things Freedom Hut Online. Speaking of shop, we're eventually going to build a store there, but that's going to take some time. 
So, uh, yeah, BuckSexton.com. Please add it to your uh, your pages that you have. You know, what do you, what do you, Producer Mark, what do you call when you add the... A bookmark? Thank you. Yes, a bookmark. Add it to your bookmarks and just check in. We'll have stories there. And now it's going to be every day we're planning to have stories posted. Um, and a lot of it is based on what I'm talking about here. So there'll be background about what we're discussing here on the show. And hopefully you'll find it to be a really uh, great one-stop shop. All right. Uh, oh, producer Mark, before we get to roll call, do you have a uh, do you have like a, a curfew from Mrs. Mark about when you have to be back for election night or are you going to be in the wee hours or what? Uh, I don't think I'm going to get home uh, early tonight. Definitely not going to bed early tonight. That's for sure. Yeah, it's going to be a late one. It's going to be a late one. All right. Well, same thing here. So if I sound at all on the uh, on the Wednesday version of the Buck Saxon show, like I have not slept and I'm barely able to form words, folks, just know that that's because I have not slept and I'm barely able to form words. All right. Roll call. Last one before the election of 2020. Just take it all in, folks. Our last roll call before the 2020 election. <sighs> breathe, everybody. Breathe. All right. Buck, I think you're right about Pennsylvania being the keystone of the election. I'm from there, and I'm not quite sure how it's going to go down, given all the mail-in ballot nonsense. Anecdotally, Democrats have been sore about Hillary losing PA by only 44,000 votes in 2016, pointing to Jill Stein's 50,000 votes as the reason Trump won. What they conveniently ignore is that Gary Johnson got about 148,000 votes as well. I voted for Johnson in 2016 as a protest vote, but this year I don't know who the Libertarian candidate is, and I don't care. I voted for Trump. I'm still not a big MAGA guy, but the insanity of the left since 2016 is beyond the pale. I'm pessimistically hopeful, but expect things to be wild for a few weeks after Election Day. Shields high. Well, Kyle, thank you for that uh, that backstory there. Let us know what's going on. And and I I would say this. Um, yeah, I I don't care who the Libertarian candidate is either. Um, libertarianism is not having a particularly strong moment right now in American politics, and the insanity of the left these days is a huge motivator, I think, for many, many people to go vote for Donald Trump. I mean, this this Democrat Party is nuts. And the stuff they're talking about, Green New Deal and, you know, you notice they've had to dial back a lot of stuff. Oh, it's not really the Green New Deal. Oh, it's not really Medicare for all. Oh, it's not really open borders. All these areas where in the Democrat primary, that was the standard uh, the standard talking point or that was the standard position for really all the candidates. And they've gone the way of Bernie Sanders, you know, Bernie Sanders. Yeah, he's lost elections at the national level. But for being fair, for being honest, he has dramatically influenced the trajectory of the Democrat Party dramatically it's made it far. Just the fact that he ran as an open socialist under the Democrat umbrella and came in second place twice and has ideas like free college and uh, what, are the, what are the other ones, you know, canceling out all student loans and just all the oh, Medicare for all, all these things. They became the center of the Democrat Party platform, really. And now just for the election, they've moved it a little toward the center so that they can pretend that they're not as far left the party. But we all know we all understand what really has happened here. This was. Uh, this was all intentional. As I've been saying, they're head faking, they're hoodwinking, bamboozling the American voter. That's been the the plan all along. Greg 
Hey, Buck, just want to say we had a COVID outbreak at my work and everyone there has been wearing masks constantly per company policy. And it still happened in a 200,000 square foot facility. So masks obviously do nothing and it's going to spread no matter what anyone does. Also, one more thing I wanted to point out. I just don't see how people are buying Biden. They didn't like Hillary last time around. And Biden is way more incompetent. My gut feeling says Trump wipes the floor with him on Tuesday. And for all of our sakes, I hope I'm right. Shields high. Greg, uh, at a minimum, masks are imperfect, which means the, the virus will continue to spread. Say they're imperfect. They're, they're highly imperfect. Uh, you know, the, the degree of protection you would get from a mask is absolutely a question uh, that is up for debate and discussion still. But it definitely isn't like, oh, I'm fine. I'm wearing a cloth mask. That's just not true. And people have been led to believe that now, which I think is just crazy. But that's where we are. And as for... Uh, Trump wiping the floor with Biden. I wish I could be as optimistic as you are, but I still remember the 2012 election when it felt like Romney might pull it off at the last minute. And then it was a I mean, Romney just got crushed in 2012. It was a really depressing, depressing situation. Uh, Wasn't even close. Now, Romney wasn't a particularly strong candidate, obviously. And since then, Romney's basically become a Democrat. But. We, we thought he might be able to beat Obama at the last minute, and it was going to be close. No one thought it was going to be a blowout for Romney. But then you saw those you saw the states that went blue on that on the screens all across the country. And it was ooh, ouch. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to forget this. I'm not going to let this go. Uh, Democrats should be the red party and Republicans should be the blue party. This is all just a vestige of the way the media covered election races starting. You know, we always think of Democrats blue, Republicans red. This is a this is there's no explanation for this. Democrats are the party of the left and the socialists. They should be as they would be all across Europe, the Reds. And uh, the Republican Party should be the party of blue and Americana. That's the that's the truth. But we've had this since the 1970s. It just goes back to I think it was CBS or one of the early uh, one of those networks in the earlier days of doing televised election coverage. They had blue, red, and actually yellow at one point, I think, too, were the colors they were using. And then it just stuck from there. People think there's some deep history of Republicans are red. Nope. Nope. It's only been the last 40 years or so. And it's just based on what a bunch of broadcasters decided. And it kind of stuck. And I really think that it, I, I think that this is kind of like the left calling themselves liberals when they're not actually about liberty or, or liberalism. Uh, I think it's intentional. I think that calling Democrats uh, blue and Republicans red is meant to throw people off from the association that we should have with. I mean, the American Communist Party and the American American socialist groups were effectively uh, merged with the mainstream Democrat Party with the Green New Deal and uh, in and around the time of World War Two and thereafter. That, that's what happened. I mean, there were there were those parties operating separately, but also in close conjunction with with Democrat parties. They don't teach us history. No one learns about the Communist Party USA. No one learns about Whitaker Chambers and the book Witness. And they don't teach anybody this stuff anymore because they don't want them to know. Just like they don't want people to focus on the fact that Democrat Party is the party of segregation, slavery, Jim Crow. You go through it all. The Democrats. That's the history of the Democrat Party. So we're going to pull down statues and all these different things from our past, including statues from like the 17th century or Christopher Columbus statues from the uh, you know, the 15th century end of the 15th into the 16th century. We're going to pull down those statues. But the Democrat Party doesn't have to change its name or even confront its history, really. It just is allowed to continue on, even though it was the party of all those things that I raised. Ethan, 
Next up here. Hey, Buck. I was at the president's rally in Butler, Pennsylvania on Saturday. It was a long, cold wait and worth every moment for that phenomenal experience. The crowd was massive. The spectacle of the Trump team arriving by air against the sunset was amazing. Trump's speech was excellent and hilarious at times. The people there were great. I've seen a lot from the media about it, about it. That was simply not true. There were temperature checks to get in. No one was left stranded. There was no parking right at the rally. Buses shuttled attendees back and forth to four offsite parking areas. After the event, the crowd trying to leave was so massive that many, including my wife and I, decided to just walk back to our parking area rather than wait for a shuttle. We walked over three miles and we didn't hear anyone complaining the whole way. In fact, I heard one person say, I think Trump is the only man I would make this walk for. The whole thing made me feel a little better about my state. Keep up the excellent work. Thanks for doing what you do. Well, Ethan, thank you. And I hope you and all of your friends and even people you don't like in Pennsylvania, even even your neighbor, Bill, who owes you 20 bucks. You know, I hope you get him to go vote for Trump. I hope you get everybody to go out. Uh, I really do believe it's look, it's going to come down to Pennsylvania if Trump's got a shot. If Trump gets trounced tonight, Pennsylvania is not going to matter because it's not even going to be close. But if it's if it's going to if it is possible for Trump to win this thing, it is going to come down to Pennsylvania. That's what I really believe. Cody. Hello, Buck and producer Mark. I listen to your podcast every day for the past year or so. Really enjoy the information and impersonations. Can't wait to listen to the historical podcast. I love history. I love I mean, I live in central Utah and it's still very conservative here. Thank God there are Trump flags all over, even at the high school where my kids go. Anyway, I'm hoping for a 2016 repeat or even bigger. And I have passed the buck to several who also enjoy it. Shields high. Well, Cody, thank you so much, man. Passing the buck is the single most helpful, uh, most appreciated thing you can do. That and also checking out our wonderful sponsors. You know, we, we do these uh, reads on the show. These are all great companies. I know the CEOs. I know the people that run them and the business model and, and how they treat their their clients. And I really have a partnership with all the sponsors on the show. So, you know, whether it's coffee or, or gold or air purifiers or, or real estate investment or pillows, you know, my pillow betting, um, going and using that promo code buck is really helpful. I mean, it's what keeps that ultimately is what keeps producer Mark and the Buckster employed. So every time you can um, and I I got those pillows on my bed, I got that I got black rifle in my coffee maker. I got Eden Pure by my front door. I mean. You know, I got gold in my in my in my main drawer of my desk here. Everything that I'm telling you about, these are all things that I use. These are products that I like and endorse. So if you would uh, try them out and that that also really, really helps. Whenever you do that, whenever you buy something from one of our sponsors and use the promo code buck usually or whatever the promo code is that I'm telling you at the time, it's like you're voting to keep the Buck Sexton show on the air. So as we're on Election Day. You can elect any day to make sure that we we keep this thing going. And, and look, I can't thank you all enough. The growth that we've had in I mean, the podcast has more than doubled over the last 12 months um, and uh, radio ratings on stations have never been higher. And, you know, in some places we're going head to head month to month against some of the biggest names in radio and uh, winning. So, you know, in a head to head contest in a major market. So that's uh, really cool. And it's because all of you listen to the show, and that's why we continue to have the growth we do. And we have got some great new stations that are going to be joining the mix in the new year, but I can't tell you what they are just yet. But uh, fun things, good things coming. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
More election night roll call. Here we go. Michael Buck, Shields High. Why is there more coverage of the FBI investigating the Trump train tailing the Biden-Harris bus in Texas, but no coverage of the Hunter Biden laptop investigation? Well, Michael, I know you asked the question because you probably know the answer. Uh, The FBI, unfortunately, has become a tool of politics for Democrats in many ways. Uh, There was nothing that was, from what I understand, I wasn't there, but from the evidence that I've seen, the the people trailing the Biden bus, whatever, did nothing wrong. And if anything, the accident was caused by a Biden supporter. And, you know, look, nobody was hurt. It wasn't, from what I understand, it wasn't a big deal. But, yeah, they're they're saying that this is all, you know, they they immediately want to use the full might of the federal government because they're saying it's a federal crime to harass the, you know, the Biden bus or something. I mean, you know, notice how how much they become sticklers. They become very letter of the law the minute the moment that it would benefit their side politically but when they've got biden voters out in the streets riding and acting like maniacs that's something that we're just we're to ignore who cares it's not real it's not happening mostly peaceful you know you get all that nonsense going on dan buck greetings from ohio i of course am a card-carrying member of the freedom hut And I can't go a day without what's called the best bees in media. Buck Ben Bongino. All right, Dan, I'm in I'm in strong company there. Thank you. Just want to say your Dracula podcast was awesome. I'm a history nerd. I found it unbelievably well done. I enjoyed it so much. I sent it to my brother, even though he's a huge lib. Here's open to four more years. And thanks for what you do on behalf of all conservative shields. Hi, sir. Well, thank you, Dan. And look, let me know if your huge lib brother likes the history podcast. It's just history. It's not. I mean, I'm not. It's not like. You know, uh, and, and in Turgovista in the 1450s and then Trump MAGA like, no, it's not. It's just history. I'm just doing a history thing. And I think everything in there is I mean, I had to do all the fact checking myself, but everything in there is is accurate. I mean, I might have one or two things where I'm off by a year or something just because I was I didn't do it really with any. I didn't write a script. I don't know if you can figure if you can tell. I just did it. I just recorded my my thoughts on the Dracula situation. So it wasn't from a script. It was extemporaneous. Um, with a page of notes, but with some of the dates on it. That's it. Matthew, Shields High. I'm a truck driver. For the last couple of years, I've been delivering to a place in Minneapolis, just two blocks north of the first George Floyd riots. As of right now, many of the looted businesses are still closed, like Target and Cub Foods. In addition, several buildings still need demolition work before they can start to rebuild, and some appear to have given up on it. I really hope we don't see more of this lawlessness following the election. Matthew, thanks for that update, man. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying about these neighborhoods where there's riots and looting. The damage lasts a long time. It's you know, the, the media wants you to believe, oh, they just they got insurance and they'll just fix it. And it's fine. That's not how it, that's not how it works. A lot of places either don't have insurance or even more commonly have insufficient insurance. The insurers fight them for every penny. They don't want to write a big check because your b- business got burned down in a riot. They don't want to replace your whole inventory and all that stuff. So that's uh it's way more complicated than media and it's really destructive and it's horrible and it's wrong i mean ultimately it's just wrong and that the media doesn't call it out more the democrats and biden don't call it out more just shows you who they really are brad hey bucket producer mark what's going on with obama everybody talks about how the obamas are so classy he gives great speeches i've been checking out some of his appearances for biden uh he reminds me of an angry uh grandpa he just yells and insults reeks of desperation it's almost like he's trying to emulate trump but he's missing the mark deep behind enemy lines in California. Shields high. Yeah, Brad, I've seen some of the Obama Obama rally stuff, too. I think it has been pretty weak. Uh, I, Obama's never translated into support for other Democrats. Uh, so I don't I don't think that's going to be different here with Biden. We'll have to see everybody tomorrow. We have the uh, 
the day after. We'll talk about everything then. Thank you for being here with me, and uh, Shields High.